Welcome to Mama's Roots Are Showing podcast, where we recognize that we get one motherhood. If you'd rather not wing it, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Nicolette, and I love researching all things motherhood related and then sharing what I've learned with you to help moms live intentional and joyful lives. If finding yourself in motherhood sounds better than losing yourself in motherhood, I invite you to join me as we explore the nooks and crannies of motherhood. In today's episode, I talk with Elfie Cohn about his groundbreaking book, Unconditional Parenting, which challenges standard American parenting. He uses modern research to show why methods that are often promoted by shows like The Super Nanny or promoted in the vast majority of parenting books are actually damaging the parent-child relationship and how they're counterproductive to the goals that we have for our children if we want them to be thoughtful, caring, and well-rounded people with healthy amounts of self-esteem. So in his book, things like timeouts, sticker charts, and praise are dissected and then presented in a new light, which reveals the darker side to these common approaches. Admittedly, these methods are deeply ingrained in our culture and widely used, and it can be uncomfortable to have our parenting methods called out and questioned. If this information is triggering to anyone, I ask that you explore that more and I ask that you read Alfie's book, Unconditional Parenting, in its entirety. It's an easy yet very transformative read and it will definitely help any reader become a better parent. Today I am here with Alfie Cohn. Alfie Cohn is an author of a very important book called Unconditional Parenting. And today we're going to dive right in. And Mr. Cohn, I was hoping that you could begin by just explaining what conditional parenting is versus unconditional parenting. Sure. So children don't just need to be loved by us or even loved a lot. They need to be loved for who they are rather than for what they do. They need to know that we love them even when they screw up or fall short, maybe especially then even. Conditional parenting means we put conditions on our love, our approval, our attention, our acknowledgement. In other words, there are strings attached where kids get the idea that they're loved more or in a different way when they are well-behaved, or when they are good at school, or in sports, when they're quiet, when they're funny, or pretty, or whatever. And that, unfortunately, represents most of the traditional parenting advice in which children are controlled by our um, offering this kind of contingent affection, where they get the idea, I'm loved more when I do X, so I better do X, and if I don't, I'm not only unloved, but in effect unlovable. And so what I argue in the book is that we need to make sure not only that we would say, of course I love my child no matter what, 
but that our actions as parents make it likely that they will experience that sense that love is not something that can be dialed down in order to get them to comply. And I know in your book, you mentioned something that I think is really crucial in understanding all of this. And it's not, it's not so much in the message that we're giving. It's the message that our children are receiving. So we need to be very aware of when we might be withholding that love or putting a condition on it. There's a real yeah. mindfulness that parents need to have in order to achieve unconditional parenting. Right. Well, there are several key giveaways. You know, for example, if you are forcibly isolating your child when your child needs you most, which we euphemistically call time out, then that by definition is conditional parenting where the child gets the idea that not only is love, but even literally my ability to be close to my parent is removed from me because I displeased my parent. And the flip side of that is what is euphemistically called positive reinforcement, which is where we offer, uh, in effect, a doggy biscuit to children for pleasing or impressing us. Sometimes that's, you know, a, a tangible reward, sometimes even an edible reward, but other times it's a verbal doggy biscuit. If you've ever said, good job, I like the way you, that's what conditional parenting sounds like. It says that the child has a job to do, note the workplace metaphor, and it had better be a good one in order for us to reward the child you know, with a smile, a hug, a thumbs up, a fist bump, uh, uh, whatever it is. And that is just as destructive as a punitive method of control because punishments and rewards are both ways of controlling children, of manipulating them, and sending them the message that they are not loved unconditionally. When we talk about this control... We need to also be aware of the fact that obedience isn't necessarily what the goal is. We need to be aware of what our goals are for our children. I know that you've talked about this in many occasions, but tuning into what our goals are will and should help us proceed accordingly as parents. And it's interesting that a lot of times people will say, well, I want a thoughtful, a moral, a a good spirited child, yet the things that we're doing to them do the exact opposite. So can you tell us why punishments and rewards fail in this way? Well, it's not the punishments and, well, those are two different questions. Punishments and rewards always fail to get anything other than temporary obedience, and they do it at a terrific cost. They can sometimes work to get that. If the punishment is harsh enough and the likelihood of its being imposed is high enough, or conversely, if the reward is juicy and appealing enough and the probability of getting it is high enough, you can get kids to temporarily clean their rooms or try harder to do stuff in school that probably has little meaning to them or to share or, you know, whatever. I mean, if I gave you, promised you $1,000 right now for 
taking off your shoes, assuming you're wearing any, you know, I'm sure you would do it. See, rewards work. But rewards like punishments, which are both ways of doing things to children, as opposed to working with them, can never help kids develop a commitment to the value or the action in question. And indeed, research has shown that when you reward kids for doing something, that makes them lose interest in whatever they had to do to get the reward. So they're not just ineffective in the long run, they're actively harmful. So for example, research has found that children who are frequently rewarded or praised are less generous than other kids. If you say to a child, good job, sweetie, I really like the way you shared your toys with Diane. She just became a little more selfish because you've taught her that the reason for sharing is not to make Diane or other kids feel good. It's so she'll get that patronizing pat on the head from you. And similarly, research has found that adults who are rewarded for losing weight or going to the gym or quitting smoking actually become less likely to persist in those goals than people who are not rewarded at all. Again, you can get temporary compliance for as long as the reward keeps coming. But as soon as the reward ends, at best, people go back to the way things were before. And more commonly, they things get worse. So rewards and punishments are just about manipulating behavior. And the more times I see that word in a parenting book, the more worried I am about it, likely <laughs> throw that book out, because that says you're just staying on the surface. Um, you're ignoring the reasons, the motives, the values that inform behavior. You're trying to train your child as if your house training a puppy. That's what's implied when you do stickers and stars and good jobs, you know, and when schools give grades or other prizes, or conversely, when you send a child to her room or withdraw your love, which is how it tends to feel, or do any of those things. Rewards and punishments make things worse. Now, the first part of your question, though, I think was a little different, which has to do with why it is that there seems to be this divergence between using strategies like rewards and punishments, which can never help even though they don't get at the goals that we say we want for our kids. And indeed, I start my presentations, my workshops with parents by asking, what are your long-term goals for your kids? How would you like them to turn out years from now? And everywhere I go, I get the same kinds of answers. I mean, you mentioned a couple. People say, I want my kid to be happy, to be ethical, to be caring and compassionate, to be independent, self-reliant, to be curious, creative, critical thinker, lifelong learner. You know, people say that kind of thing. And so what I do for a living in my books and my lectures is to say to people, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? And it may be that even though when someone invites us to think about our carefully about our long-term goals, we say those things that really matter, on a given Thursday morning, we act as if the goal is to get mindless obedience. And that's where the rewards and punishments come in. And that's where we get in trouble. 
And it is more challenging as a parent to focus on those long-term goals than to just deal with the right now. There's lots on our to-do lists and such, but the research is pretty clear as to how this is damaging. So how do we transition to unconditional parenting if we have been using rewards and punishments? Well, first, I think a lot of introspection is necessary to reflect on what our long-term goals really are. And if anyone listening is thinking, oh, yeah, I do that sometimes. I didn't think of it. as I mean, a lot of it is just a matter of realizing, gulp, that time out is not qualitatively different from spanking. Those are two ways of hurting children. One is more emotional, the other is physical. And so if a pediatrician, you know, or or some know, awful reactionary parenting book says, don't spank your child, give them a time out. You know, we need to have the resource resources here and the insight to step back and say, those are two ways of making children suffer to get obedience. If that's all you've got, I need to find another resource. And then if another advisor says, oh, no, don't punish kids at all, reward them, use positive reinforcement, we need to have exactly the same conversation with ourselves or if we're lucky with a co-parent, to prod each other and say, yeah, it's not much better either. Those are both ways of, as I say, doing too, not working with. And a lot of us have internalized this, and we don't know what else to do. And some version of bribes and threats is not only accepted by the culture we live in, but expected to the point that people give us weird looks or think we're spoiling them or being permissive if we don't control them with bribes or threats. So all of this can can be very unsettling, particularly if it makes us gulp and think, but that's what was done to me. We have to struggle with this. And then, then we look at the research and see that any form of reward or punishment, which is, remember, conditional parenting, is going to be counterproductive and then reflect on what it means to work with kids instead. Um, what are some of the, the kinds of strategies that... Re- I mean, another reason that these, these things persist, even though research and experience show they, they're counterproductive, is that they're easy. Mm. You know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of time or talent or effort or care or courage to simply offer a different kind of reward or punishment. And there are loads of consultants who will tell us, no, you just have to, don't give that reward, do this kind, or do it on this schedule, or do it in this way, and stand at this distance from the child. And of course, these are all exercises in missing the point. And and, um, so we have to be willing to reject any kind of doing-to approach and get better at you know, some of the strategies that I'm sure you've you've dealt with in, in your own consulting and in your podcast and that I talk about in in my, my book and my presentations are about what does it mean to work with kids? One one thing it means is that a lot of times when kids don't do what we've told them, the problem's not with the kid. It's with what you've told them. And that takes some gumption. The reward and punishment peddlers never have to make you uncomfortable to reflect on 
the reasonableness, the developmental appropriateness of your request, most parenting advice begins with the premise that whatever the parent wants is is uh, legitimate, and here are some tricks to get it. Whereas my approach, you know, is to say, well, maybe not. Maybe the problem is with what you're asking. And then to go on to think about other strategies, ways of talking less and asking more. At the core of what I'm calling working with parenting is the realization that um, that kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. <laughs> and of course, there's a lot more too. I could ramble on for two hours, but I remember that exact sentence in your book, and I know I have it highlighted because you do really talk about offering our children choices. And this isn't in, you know, the, sometimes people say, well, give your kids a choice and it's almost gimmicky, but that's not what you're saying. Could you unpack no. that, the power yeah. of choice and how it, how it helps in this so greatly? So obviously it's going to depend partly on um, whether something is non-negotiable you, you know, uh, toddlers do not have a choice about whether to be in a car seat in the car. Um, but in many instances, we don't give them a choice when they should have it. And we continue to give them only very limited choices, even when they're at the point developmentally where it doesn't have to be like a menu option. Like, do you want the dinosaur placemat or the whale placemat for lunch today? That's fine for a two-year-old. But as kids get older, they should be constructing the possibilities, not merely selecting from your menu. Mm, I and like that. Sometimes, sometimes they should have the opportunity to make the kind of choices that make you a little uncomfortable. Because if you only give them the choice when you don't really care whether it's this or that, that's not a real choice. You see, what makes choice so important is this is part of a, a broader understanding of human psychology that is referred to by psychologists as, as autonomy support. So it's not just about, yeah, now and then they get to pick this or that. It's about really giving kids the chance to feel like, like origins in their worlds, like they have meaningful say about the stuff that counts. So it's not just a gimmick. It's not like these It's just... There's so many terrible parenting programs. One of the one of the ones that is for me like nails on a blackboard is a program called Love and Logic, mm. which is where they pretend to give kids choices, but only so the kid screws up, picks something bad, and learns to obey you. You know, it's a uh, you know about about how kids get to choose, but it's not meaningful autonomy at all. And the ultimate goal is to get kids to do whatever you, the adult, unilaterally decide is, is, is appropriate. So with a lot of these parenting approaches, and with respect not only to choice, but to other topics as well, you have to, you have to look beyond the, 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 the pleasant, feel-good, you know, uh, language of them to see what is the real objective here? How how respected do the kids feel when they're when you use the strategies being proposed? Or is it just a cleverer or sort of nicer way of manipulating them? Yes, I think what your book is 
why it's so different than a lot of other parenting books is that there's, it asks you to be genuine with not only who you are, but also recognize who your children are. There's nothing worse than feeling disingenuous while you're with your children. And so I think that's a really important important difference. I, I, I agree with you to a point. I mean, let's take praise, for example, and that's the part that's, I think, one of the hardest pieces for people, even those who would never dream of spanking their children, using physical violence on them, uh, and they aren't even comfortable you know, broadening them with ice cream. But the idea that praise is also part of a doing-to approach, it's also experienced as manipulative, is really disorienting for a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, in the book, I talk about, first of all, you should inquire to yourself, like, what's the point? What am I doing this for? If you are praising, I like the way you took your shoes off when you first came in the door. Good job. That's purely for your convenience, and it's intended to manipulate the child. It's, it's obviously just about control. But, says the parent, what if I praise my child sometimes um, when it's not manipulative, I'm not trying to reinforce a behavior again, like I'm house training a dog, but I'm, I just genuinely feel excitement or pleasure or pride in what my child has done. So I'm being genuine. And my answer is, yeah, that's a step forward. That's better than the crude manipulation of, I like the way you to suit yourself. But what matters is how the child experiences it, to come back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. If the child feels manipulated, if the child comes to see that the point of doing whatever is to get that approval from mommy, then we still have a problem here. If the activity in question now becomes less interesting and engaging to the child because you're praising her artwork, now the point of drawing for the child is just to get that reaction again. And you've just killed your child's interest in art because she comes to see reading or math or coding or sculpting, whatever the activity is, as just a means to an end. And the end is the adult's approval. So here's an adult who's being genuine, who's being authentic, and yet the adult's action is still problematic because of the way it's experienced by the child. So doing what comes naturally is not always, in my opinion anyway, the last word, because a lot of really troubling stuff comes naturally to us in this culture. And we have to challenge ourselves to move past some of those activities and assumptions. Yes, I've, I've experienced that in my own life with my children, you know, because it does become natural to say, oh, I love that picture. Great. When they ask for your opinion on it. But I have seen where it takes them completely out of that experience. Yep. Um, I have seen no, that. That's right. You know, with my, my own daughter, when she was young, she loved drawing, you know, and she would hold it up and, you know, I... So, uh, of course, you know, I'm tickled by what she's done, uh, and it would come naturally to me, and I'm not being deliberately manipulative to say, oh, it's so colorful, oh, I, I love the way you, you know, but, I mean, you have to ask yourself, what's the goal here? Is the goal to make her dependent on you or other, it, throughout her life, other authority figures to pat her on the head? 
or is the goal to support and encourage her uh, in her interest in art, assuming she decides she wants to continue at it? Because if it's the latter, if you want to encourage her, praise is not about encouragement. Praise is judging, and judgment is not what kids need. And so we need to really challenge ourselves on that, as well as on all the other variants of placing conditions. Uh, Notice what I'm saying here is that praise and other rewards, like punishments, are powerfully disturbing in their effects for two separate reasons. One is that these artificial inducements undermine intrinsic motivation. In other words, when you reward people for doing something, they tend to lose interest in what they had to do to get the reward. There's loads of research. This is why the best schools never give grades to kids, because grades are reliably associated with less excitement about learning, less preference for challenging tasks, and less deep thinking. But the second reason, independent of the effect of extrinsic inducements on love of doing something is the conditionality question. I'm summarizing for you like decades of my of my <laughs> thought because I didn't get all this right away. I wrote a whole book called Punished by Rewards that just dealt with the motivation issue. And I didn't really understand then that praise and other rewards are are also detrimental for a whole additional reason having to do with the communication of conditionality. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. And the good news is I think that people, I think there's certainly you were a huge part of getting this movement started. And I think we're starting to hear more and more about it, but it is difficult for parents to have their certain, these certain approaches be challenged. And and I wanted to ask you, um, a question about that. What do you say to the parents that proclaim, well, my parents did X, Y, and Z, and I turned out fine? Well, there's two ways, I think, to address that, Uh, a sort of moderate, gentle way and a more uh, edgy, uh, radical way. Um, I guess the, the moderate way is to assume that this person did turn out fine, and then to ask whether she turned out fine because of that kind of parenting or in spite of it. And I would argue, based on the research, that it's more likely to be in spite of. There are people who smoke three packs a day and live to 100, but that doesn't mean we recommend cigarette smoking to our children or others just because that person won the lottery, you know, managed to survive in spite of the smoking. We want to, you know, increase the odds. And a working with approach is far more likely to help kids grow up the way we would hope that they would. Um, and therefore, we should, we should do that, even if we were lucky enough uh, to flourish despite a control-based approach to parenting. That's the moderate response. The radical response, which I would do very gingerly, is to question the premise. Mm. Did you turn out okay? What does okay mean? You know, do you have trouble with your relationships where you're always looking for something that's impossible? Do you feel a sort of core of unconditional self-acceptance? 
or are you full of anxiety and and struggling to keep your head above water? You know, uh, I could go on. So it may be that we too quickly say, and I turned out okay, when in fact we may still be struggling as adults with exactly what the research would predict would happen from being raised in a place where we were talked at more than listened to, bribed or threatened into obedience, loved conditionally, and so on. Yes. And it doesn't have to be that you're in a jail cell somewhere. It's simply no, that. that's right. Right. You're and just struggling. Exactly. And nor does it matter at all in terms of how you turned out psychologically and morally speaking, just because you live in a big house or right. have to drive a fancy car. So turning out okay, you know, at least from my way of looking at it, has nothing to do with mere material success. Well, your book is truly transformative. It is the book for me. And as my copy is, you know, riddled with notes in the margins and lots of highlighting. It's a book that I recommend to every new parent and any parent that I come in contact with if we end up having that conversation. And I just want to thank you for your work, Mr. Cohn. You wrote this book in 2005 and certainly that many years ago, it wasn't something that was talked about a lot. And so you really challenged the status quo and were met with a lot of resistance. Yes, um, still. And still, absolutely. But I think that perhaps the pendulum is swinging in the right direction now. I hope it is. It seems to me that we're having more and more of these conversations every day. And you are the expert on this. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about your great work today. Well, I appreciate it. appreciate your interest and you helping to carry the message out to others. I will be reading all of your other works, too. As someone that's a home educator, I got to brush up on my, my education as well. <laughs> great. And for you and, for that matter, others who may be interested in this stuff, uh, my website has a whole bunch of articles that are all free for the taking as well as information about the books. And that's just my name, Alfie Cohn, A-L-F-I-E-K-O-H-N dot org. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to ask you one last question before we close up here. Um, Obviously, you have 14 books and many articles. You've been published in numerous articles. You have a blog, as you just mentioned. And I always like to ask people what they're reading. What are you reading currently, or what has been an influential book in your life? At the moment, I'm reading some uh, some fiction as well as journal articles in psychology that show up in my old-fashioned mailbox. Uh, but there are there are many many uh, uh, wouldn't know where to start in terms of what's been influential for me with respect to education, parenting, and Human behavior more generally. I'm, I'm look. I'm standing in my bookshelf right now, and I wouldn't even know where to <laughs> where to start. Uh, I will say that the, uh, I'll mention one thing before we go, which is uh, I had briefly uh, during our conversation talked about the idea of autonomy support, and that comes from the work of many psychologists around the world who are affiliated with what's called a self determination approach to to human psychology. And there's a website and there's probably now in the thousands of journal articles and also some books 
that offer the kind of academic research-based substrate or support for many of the ideas. I cite some of those psychologists in, in Unconditional Parenting and other books, but that academic work uh, continues to be something that I, I follow avidly and I'm, I'm always eager to see new discoveries that in different ways challenge us and support this general approach to parenting and human behavior. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. You are an incredible person, and what you have shared with the world is continuing to make ripples in many homes across the globe. Um, Thank you so much, Mr. Cole. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Take care. I hope that you found this conversation with Alfie Cohn today extremely helpful. There are so many nuggets of wisdom that he shares in such a small amount of time. And again, I can't stress enough the importance of reading his book, Unconditional Parenting. It's absolutely life-changing if concepts of respectful parenting, mindful parenting, and peaceful parenting are new to you. But even if you are very familiar with those types of styles, it is a book that you can continue to go back to over and over and over again. It is definitely one that I use as a refresher as I can slip into using rewards and punishments again. And I often have it right there on my bookshelf and I'll just flip through and read some of the items that I've highlighted or have underlined and it always puts me back on track. Definitely check out Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn and remember that we're in this together. If you could leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, I would greatly appreciate it. Please share this podcast with another parent who might find this information really helpful. In doing so, you may help them, and you'll also help other moms find me. Take care.